Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, the host of Funding the Dream and the Game Whisperer. Today is February 2nd. This is episode 28 of Funding the Dream, and I have a very special guest today. I have Lorian Green from Nashua, New Hampshire. Lorian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, you, this is not obviously your first podcast. Lauren, you, uh, you put together a board game documentary called Going Cardboard, and I imagine you've done a few interviews already, haven't you? Yes, that's correct. I'm getting used to it. Yeah, I bet. Tell us about what prompted you to do a documentary on board games. Well, um, I had always been a fan of documentaries myself, like independent documentaries and whatever. You know, I started blogging because of uh, the documentary King of Kong. And so I had the footing on the documentary side of things and started seeing all these niche documentaries about pop culture stuff. And then uh, my husband had kind of at the same time started getting into designer board games. And I just viewed it as a topic that I would really like to see a documentary on myself. So and there wasn't one available. So that's basically how it happened. So do you have a background then in film? No, not at all. My brother went to film school, but I... That's close. It helped. It definitely... (laughs) He helped me a lot at the first uh, filming thing that I was at. Like, he knew how to do all the gaffer type stuff that I didn't know anything about. But, um, yeah, I'm actually a marine biology major. So, well, well, okay, did you just, like, grab your iPhone or something? How did you go about starting the process of filming? Well, I had some advice from people that knew what they were doing, fortunately, and just, you know, advised me on what kind of cameras to get. So I basically just went with uh, the little Canon HD cameras, uh, the mini DV ones that run around seven, $800. So I, I begged uh, my family to get me one of those for Christmas, and that's basically how I got started. You begged it for the camera for the specific purpose of doing the documentary? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when I say I had no film experience before this, I had not even uploaded a YouTube video before wow. this. So, yeah, like zero. So, so wow, that's ambitious. So how long did it take you to, to work on going cardboard? Well, it took three years. Uh, basically, the first year and a half was filming and gathering all the interviews. And then the second year and a half was, you know, doing a couple interviews to fill in things and getting, you know, there were some opportunities that I had to talk to people that I really wanted to get in there. So I, you know, finished up the interviewing then. And then it was about a year of post-production, all all told. That's a long, so. that, I guess that's a long project that, was it tough to stay with it? Was it tough to kind of stay focused on this and keep this thing going? Uh, you know, I was worried about that because that is my tendency. Like, I'll pick up a hobby and get really super enthused about it, you know, spend a good chunk of change on it and then, you know, lose interest and move on to the next thing. And I, that is kind of why I was very public about it from the beginning because I uh, wanted right. that pressure of people watching me and knowing, you know, that I couldn't stop doing it for that reason. And so, right. no, I mean, I was, I was all in like the whole time and I never fortunately had that feeling of, oh, I'm tired of this. So over that year and a half of doing the main filming, how far geographically did this project take you? Oh uh, Well, um, like I said, I'm on the East Coast right now. So the first stop was uh, in Massachusetts. That was, you know, not very far. But then after that, I went to the Gathering of Friends. That's in Ohio, or it was at the time. Uh, so there was that little trip. And then after that, I actually went to Essen, Germany to film the Spiel Convention that goes on over there because it's sort of the mecca, as they say, of the board game. It is. What year were you – so how long ago were you in Spiel, at Spiel? 2009. 2009. Wow. You know, I missed you. I was wandering the halls. I oh, missed no, you. Oh, really? Uh, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, <laughs> sort of. 
it was I, that was my first year there and it is freaking oh, yeah. overwhelming isn't it amazing I like never, i really want to go back i know it is uh, over i've been able to go last three years i've not been oh, to gen con or origins but i've been to spiel three years go figure yeah, yeah, I, I'm actually like it was sort of my husband and I's first date origins, but I have not been to Gen Con. But yeah, Essen is just amazing. How geeky is that? Yeah, it was it was fairly geeky. He was playing in the magic tournaments at the time. Oh wow! All right. Yeah, so we sat there and had coffee and watched the vampires LARP. It was it was awesome. Fun memories. <laughs> so tell me how. So you're you're going to do this project? Mm-hmm. How much? I mean, where did the funding come from? How did you put the money together? Okay, your family helped you out with $800 for the camera, but where did the rest of the money come from for all this travel and things that you were doing? Well, at first, I kind of was just funding it on my own, you know, and we were just kind of lumping it. Uh, You know, we had some savings for, you know, that we said, okay, we're just going to do this. So the trip to Germany and the trip, you know, to Ohio, I I self-funded those. And I... You know, it was going along pretty much fine, but with uh, film, there's this big, massive cost at the end, which is the DVD run, if you're going to do that. And I wanted to do that, and so that was at the point where I was just like, oh, you know, I could use some help on this. And I built a community and kind of got the word out, you know, like I said, because I wanted eyes on it. Um, but I figured, you know, that's what Kickstarter's for. So actually, the first time I launched a Kickstarter, I didn't have a video or any supporting stuff, and it was really too soon. It was a, a year before the second launch, and I asked them to take it down. I was like, you know what, I'm not ready for this. So I waited until later on when, uh, you know, I had things to tell them, basically, and a specific goal. And then, you know, I basically did the Kickstarter to fund the DVD run. Okay, that's, yeah, that is a bit ironic that somebody who's doing a film kickstarter project wouldn't have a video yeah i know <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah, kind of yeah. ironic so right you, yeah so you tried it once you kind of figured out that you're not ready so then you, you kind of went you went back figured it out and you launched your project specifically for the as i recall the post the post-production uh wasn't yes, some did. of it editing as well not just the dvd run yeah, some of it's definitely editing because, you know, I had help with that. I had an editor helping me with that, and obviously they, they don't come free. So, you know, there are all those expenses and things like uh, licensing music. That's a big deal, you know. if you There there are free music sources you can use for this stuff, but I had um, identified one that I really liked, and I also had a friend who was a composer, and I wanted to use his work. And I, I'm a fan of, you know, paying people for the work that is due. So Particularly starving artists. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So that's, that's a, that was part of it. So tell me, so the, you have a kind of a unique one where most um, Kickstarter projects that, I, that I'm dealing with on the show, these people are putting out board games, so it's artwork that they're licensing or artwork that they're contra- contracting Yeah, exactly. Out. In your case, though, it was music. How does somebody go about licensing music? Well, so the service that I used for a lot of it was called musicloops.com. And it's really cool. Uh, they they just, you know, you search for whatever genre you want. You can listen to these things and you can purchase for a really reasonable price royalty-free music to use in your project. Um, you know, it, it has to accompany a project. You can't, like, you know, take your favorite ones and cut, a, you know, a CD together and sell that. Like, that's not allowed. But they're very flexible and they were really cool and they have lots and lots of great music. So I got a lot there. But then I was also working with a composer, uh, Tony Longworth. He typically does... Um, horror movie soundtracks uh so his stuff is it tends to be kind of dark but he also had this other stuff and it was kind of refreshing for him to get a chance to stretch those legs and do some you know more stuff that deviated from his norm uh so you know he was one of those ones too that was just like you know 
completely helpful and just with me all the way. And he had been used also by my editor, Jason Scott. So that's where the reference came from. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So you're getting, you find all the, the components, you realize that you're kind of uh, getting low on the, on the funding here and you go mm -hmm. to Kickstarter. Uh, when you put your Kickstarter project together the second time, Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that process, kind of how that went and, and the success that you had and some of the things that you learned in that process. Um, okay, well, so I basically put it together and I said, you know, how much am I actually going to need for this? And the figure that I did it for, which was um, $4,500, um, was not what was going to be the full amount, but, you know, they advise you, you know, do what you need. And that, so I wasn't trying to, you know, make a profit on that or anything like that. I was like, you know, this is what I, I need the help and this is the chunk that I would need. And, you know, I still expected to have to do some of it myself even then. So, but that was going to be, you know, a big chunk of it. So, um, I launched the Kickstarter and then I, I had a couple lucky breaks. I got picked up by some, you know, larger publications like MTV geek covered it and, uh, the wired geek dad blog covered it so you know that helped a lot but it's all about the publicity so I got that out and I mean it reached its goal super fast and then it just kept going so we I wound up like 300 something percent over goal which obviously made everything easier and allowed me to do some additional cool things like uh, I licensed a board game from Reiner Knizia to go inside the DVD package and then I ordered the actual components for that so all the DVDs come with you know this little set of wooden pieces and you know the cards for this game that Reiner made so you know I was able to do some really classy things that made the DVD you know just that much cooler as a documentary about this genre okay so now now you're a you're an official film producer, right? I guess so. You're yeah, director, it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's definitely done. It's it's in the can. It's in the can, and now as they say, and people can go out and they can buy it. So where where can people buy your movie? Well, they can buy it. It's basically in production right now, but you can buy it on the website boardgamemovie.com or goingcardboard.com. Uh, there's a PayPal buy link there. And the scheduled ship date is estimated as mid-February because um, it's at the printers now. They have the master and they are, you know, they said it looked good. But with any luck, you know, it we're very much on track to be shipping out mid-February. And I noticed, so I bought mine through GameSalute, I think. Is yep, yep, mine. you can also do that. Uh, we've partnered with GameSalute. They will be distributing to the brick-and-mortar actual board game stores uh, that they partner with. So across the country and really the world, um, it'll, it'll be in brick-and-mortar stores, and that was a great opportunity. That is. So tell me, when you're doing a project like this, you have milestones and you have goals, internal goals, public goals. What when this is all said and done and you look back on this entire project, how do you measure success on something like this? And, the, um, and that might be a tough question because I'm kind of asking, you know, obviously you did it, so that's success. But at what point do you say, wow, that, I was successful because this happened? I would basically, the way I measured that success was that it gave enjoyment to people. That's really what I was looking for. That's why I was doing it. That's, you know, that's what gives me, like, the emotional high. Like, 
providing enjoyment for other people. And, you know, we had a couple screenings, like preview screenings at this point, and the audience reacted very favorably. And I hadn't really counted on that. I wasn't really thinking about that. It was like, obviously, I'm doing the best I can. I like it. But I didn't assume that the general public was going to like it, you know, because you just don't know. It's like, oh, are they going to get bored? Am I going to lose them, you know, halfway through this? Will they not find the story as interesting as I did? And they seem to. And so I measured success in that way that the core audience seems to be really enjoying it, but also that if I can, if people can use this film to get people that aren't already board gamers interested in the hobby, that I consider a win. That's really what I'm looking for. Wow. It sounds like you almost made this without even taking, you just made this for you. And then you shared your vision and your dream with everybody else. And you're surprised that, Hey, I guess they like it too. Yeah, sort of. I mean, like I just, I didn't think it was right that, a genre this cool did not have a documentary about it. It, And so I just, like, I couldn't let that stand. So what did you, in this journey, this this three-year journey, you started off because you thought it was cool and you wanted to do it. When you got to the end of the journey, and everybody talks about this in all kinds of different ways, how did it change you and what did you come away learning that you didn't know? And how did it, how did it change you now that you're on the backside of this? Um, well, I think... So first of all, I learned a ton about the genre that I didn't know. Like when I first started this, I just wanted to do a documentary because, oh, board games are pretty and they look really cool and a lot of people are playing them and it's sort of underground. I didn't even know about the Spiel Fair. So, you know, it's it's kind of made me – I mean, it was an advocacy piece to begin with, but it's really kind of made me – an advocate for the genre and all the different beneficial elements of it. You know, like boards, ga- board game programs being used by libraries to bring in, you know, to bring people from other cultures together, you know, at the library for that kind of thing. You know, board games being used as a family pastime, which is huge overseas, but, you know, it's not something that we've done a whole lot historically here. Um, you know, just come home from work after a long day and play a board game with your kids, you know, for an hour. Like, that's not part of our culture so much. And I think it's so cool, you know, like, that's that's really what, um, those are some of the things that I've really learned. And, and I find the tech part really interesting, too, you know, that these board games, like, they couldn't just stay as board games forever, you know, like, there was going to be, you know, tech always plays a role in everything. So go, I go, thought it was really cool seeing like it on the surface, you know, things like that. Go into that tech part a little bit. What what do you mean by that? Okay. So, yeah. Um, so some of the people I talked to, I had the opportunity to film uh, Settlers of Catan being played on the Microsoft Surface. And, you know, and also iPhone, you know, things like that. It's on Xbox. You can get, you know, like uh, Ticket to Ride and Settlers of Catan and some other games. Um, and it's an interesting uh, port over because you lose in some ways the core about board gaming, which is sitting down, actually being with people and that social experience. So, um, you know, you're, you're on a computer again, which is sort of like the antithesis of, oh, you know, this was to take you away from the computer in the first place, you know. So um, that part's interesting, but at the same time, it exposes the hobby to a new audience, an audience that might not know about it, and then, you know, they could potentially find out that there's a board game version of it, you know, become interested, and it can be a gateway that way. And I have seen that happen a lot. So yeah, and I've had, that, I've had that happen myself. Somebody came over to my house, a business colleague. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about iPad. the iPad had just come out, and he was going on and on about this great iPad app that he and his wife had found called Small World. Oh, yeah. And so I smiled, and I said, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you come into my library? And, you know, I have a, a library of 
three, four hundred games, and I pulled out Small World and handed it to him, and he was completely dumbfounded. Oh, that's fantastic. Did he play? Did oh, he... Well, we didn't play it right then because he was just yeah. visiting, but the yeah. fact that he had no concept that, and especially when we opened up the game and looked at the components, that the absolute replication of the game to the iPad was so exact that he could sit down and instantly know how to play this game was was very was thrilling to him and uh, right and you know what you raise a good point there the fact that computers help you pick up the rules that's yes. super important in this hobby because as games beca- we're seeing well there's this renaissance that you have kind of tapped it, tapped into of board games emerging again um, mm-hmm. and it's really coming the invasion is coming from Europe but you know as games all these different concepts uh, you know if you've played a lot of games then you pick up the game, you scan the rules, and you're like, okay, I got it. Uh, particularly if you like take Dominion and try to introduce it to a bunch of 10-year-olds who have been playing Pokemon their whole life. Yes. Right? It takes them about 35 seconds, and boom, they're kicking your butt every time absolutely, that they play. Absolutely, absolutely. But for a new person who's kind of being introduced for the first time, it's, it's an, they're not quite sure. And, for example, using Dominion as an example, mm-hmm. uh, I sent Dominion to a friend of mine, a software developer, for Christmas – his son figured out how to play, but when they opened up the box, that's a game that you have to have someone teach you to play that if you've mm-hmm. never played a deck-building game before. Yep, and once you get it, it's so intuitive. But, yeah, that is a bottleneck. You know, it's a barrier to entry for this hobby, like the rules, and it is what it is. There's no getting around that. Uh, interesting. And i got to say, as we wrap up, uh, my experience with Spiel, having gone there just this past October, I had the luck of being in the Lego booth when German television came by. Oh, cool. And I've got a lot of friends in Germany who are aware, and now this sounds interesting, but they're aware of the board game space, but they don't actually really know it that well. And so they turn to me for expertise. These are Germans turning to me, which I always find ironic since so many of the games I'm teaching them to play mm-hmm. are German games. It's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. As we were sitting, though, in the, in the booth, there in the Lego booth, and the German TV came by, when they, when my friends, German friends, saw me on the news, uh, on their German uh, television news, they suddenly started pinging me saying, you know, I think we want to go with you next time. Because they had no concept of what, when I was talking about Spiel and Essen, just how big and how mainstream it really has become. Yeah, it's really hard. Like they say in the film, it's hard to describe Essen. And it just is. It's so different from what we have over here in the U.S. Although that, like you said, is changing. Like, you know, you go to PAX and there's a very big board gaming presence there now. Right. And, you know, even since I started filming this, I feel like it's getting way more mainstream. So that's that's great. Well, I think you were uh, you were way out in front on this. This is, this is awesome. We're talking with Lorian Green, who is the author of Going Cardboard, the documentary. And Lorian, tell us again one more time where we can go and find more information about your game. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Yep, you can find uh, more information at www.goingcardboard.com. And you can buy it there, and there's links to all the interviews and information and all that. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to sit down, talk to us, and kind of share this journey that you've been through with us. And that Kickstarter was such a a critical component of the success of bringing that to, to market. 
Yeah, Kickstarter was a huge part of it. And, you know, like people have gotten way more sophisticated about Kickstarter now. You know, they're like these these tiers and stretch goals and things like that. You know, that would have been really good to work in. But, you know, I was – that this was before kind of people got sophisticated well, about Well, you were it. a pioneer. And when the pioneers yes. are out there, the, the, the freeways haven't been paved over. The telephone lines aren't working yet. That's what pioneers are all about. Yeah, I stumbled my way through and it worked. So you did. And I think you've inspired a lot of other people to kind of follow in your footsteps. I really hope so. Lorian, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. You, you have been listening to Funding the Dream, uh, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I'm Richard Bliss, been joined by Lorian Green, and we hope that uh, you'll take what you've heard, be inspired, go out, find your own dream, use Kickstarter to, uh, to do that and fund it, and we hope to see you on Kickstarter. Thank you for listening. Take care.